Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi! Hi, Evelyn. It's so good to see you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for coming to Reppin'. I'm Evelyn, your host. You've seen my next guest in the hit movie, Fast and Furious, Tokyo Drift. Her other credits include Vampire Diaries, Body of Proof, Dynasty, and most recently, she starred as Noah Hamilton in Baker and the Beauty. On her Instagram page, she describes herself as an indigenous woman, aspiring, regenerative, human. She breaks that down for us and also shares some defining moments in her life that shaped her perspective and values. She also talks about her new project called Ritual Community and all the different ways she's working to give back. Today, we're sitting down with the talented Natalie Kelly. Hey, Natalie, thank you so much for joining me and from Alaska. You're on a conservation trip, right? Yes. So thank you for having me, Evelyn. It's a joy to speak to you. And in the conversations we've had preceding this podcast, I've just been so impressed by you and really honored to be here talking about all the things we're going to cover today because they're very exciting to me. And uh, I'm in Alaska right now to support two groups. The first is the EAC Preservation Council. The EAC are the traditional stewards, the native peoples, the original peoples of this part of Alaska, and they are currently trying to buy back 11,000 acres of cold fields and retire them. And they're doing that with the help of another group called Native Conservancy and also another group called For the Wild. And For the Wild is actually a wonderful podcast for people looking to expand their knowledge of uh, environmental activism and and uh, Indigenous peoples' rights and issues. So this this trip here will combine two of the things, the issues that are most important to me, which is protecting wilderness from extractive industries and rematriating land back to Indigenous peoples. So we are still very early on in our mission here, but please stay tuned because we will most likely need public support to be able to finalize this deal and um, return this land back to its original stewards, the EAC people. That's awesome. Tell me a little bit about your upbringing and what it was like to grow up, you know, being born in Peru, you moved to Australia, and maybe, you know, what kind of heroes you had or didn't have? Well, so I was born uh, in Peru to a single mother, indigenous woman. We came from very humble circumstances. I mean, I could say poor except that we they had a lot of pride and we we are actually from a part of Peru that is called Huanuco, which is in central Peru. We're from the Andes. So that's my ancestry. And I was even though we, we immigrated to Australia when I was two, my mom raised me with a lot of ancestral pride about my indigenous roots, where we were from, our land, how we used to live on our land. My grandmother would tell me stories of raising her sheep and and her and her cows and grazing them. She was a shepherdess and what life was like in the Andes. And, you know, my grandmother had nine children 
three of them she birthed herself without any help and she cut the umbilical cord herself on the wow. floor of the kitchen in her hut in the Andes. There's no running water or road near where, where that hut is. So we really come from like rural people of the land and my ancestors have been living in harmony with that land in the Andes for millennia. And so that has always been a source of pride for me, you know. I never, I didn't go back to Peru until I was 18, but I knew all about the history of the Incas, Machu Picchu. I knew all about our cuisine. And at the same time, I, I also was very Australian. My mom stopped speaking Spanish to me when I was younger and made sure that I assimilated. And that has been a big tragedy in my life because now as an adult, I have to relearn Spanish. And it's been really hard because... My ego doesn't like to be uh, in learning something. I like to be good at it. Sure, <laughs> so it's very hard for me to be this activist for South American indigenous people and then be struggling to conjugate a verb in Spanish. But I'm persisting nevertheless. It's taken 35 years, but I'm getting there. And then on the other hand, I had a pretty typical Australian upbringing, you know, and I assimilated pretty quickly and I, I did all the things that Australians did. I learned to swim and to camp and to hike and um, it had a pretty a, a very privileged and ideal upbringing in Australia I have to say and my, my all my education came from you know Australian institutions and so in that sense I feel very culturally Australian even though ethnically and spiritually I'm Peruvian then when I was 18 I went back to Peru for the first time um, well when I was 16 I went back to South America I went to uh, Brazil and Argentina and what I saw shocked me because I was I had been raised Australia is like a likes to project itself as a very egalitarian society. And so when I went back and saw the enormous inequality in South America and the classism and the racism, especially against indigenous people, I was shocked. I couldn't believe it because I had been raised to think that we were amazing. We built Machu Picchu. We like the Incas built more roads than the Romans. And yet I went back to my con my, my continent and, and instead I saw us oppressed and exploited and made to hate ourselves in that internalization of, of colonization, that internalized hatred. And that really shook me to my core and that inspired me to want to change things on a larger level. And I went back to university and I started to study social science and policy. I was like, okay, that's my way. I'm going to reform. I'll be a reformer and I'll do it the right way through policy, maybe go into government or work for an NGO. And then that was all sidetracked when I decided to become an actress. Yeah. We can hold for many parallels dreams and ambitions and I used to tell when I was younger ever my parents used to ask me what do you want to be when you grow up and I said a lawyer and an actress and and an actress yeah like when I was little I thought that was totally valid and the adults would laugh and be like well you've got to choose one but now it's funny because I'm realizing that like that's actually a limitation that doesn't hold any value, you know, like who says like that's the old paradigm. You've got to choose one thing when you're 18 and stick to it. And um, and the truth is, while I don't see myself going back and finishing university and getting a law degree per se, that was actually what I was originally enrolled in. I, I do see myself going back and finishing and getting some kind of degree. But I do see that now my career as an actress has led me to a place where I can pick up my activism again. And, and, I, and I can look at it through a different lens. 
you know, and, and I might still want to go into reform and legislation maybe later on in my life. Like, who knows? Like, I could, if I could get my Peruvian citizenship, I would, and learn Spanish finally, I would love to run for office in Peru. Trust me, there's lots of things I'd like to fix there. But until then, I'm, I'm learning now that there's so many different ways of, of activism. You know, reform is one and reimagining is another. And so as, as an actress and as somebody who tells stories, a storyteller and somebody that's in the, cult, in the realm of culture right now and has the ability to change and shift narratives within our culture, I see myself now as in the position of being able to reimagine our future and help other people reimagine the future we could live in. And that's also very powerful, you know, to dream these new societies and new worlds into beings. And that's, that's where I currently find myself. There's a lot there, Natalie. When you lose your language, because English is my second language, I speak Cantonese, but I'm losing it. So it's really frustrating because there's no place to practice it. Um, So I can definitely relate to you there. But I want to go back to a couple of things. When you went back in your teens and you noticed all of this racism and, and classism, the inequalities, and really all of the things that went against what you fundamentally believed were true... How did it shake you and what did you walk away from that other than just being, you know, completely devastated, I would imagine? Because when you grow up thinking one thing and then you are faced with, uh, you know, a very stark and, you know, oftentimes ugly reality of it, how did it hit you and how did you empower yourself to become more of an activist and not be defeated by what you saw? Well, I realized that my life could never be the same again. And my dreams had to shift because once I knew what I knew about those injustices, Mm -hmm. I couldn't pretend they didn't exist. Not to say that I haven't tried to ignore them and just go ahead and live my life and live the life that I think an actress should live. Um, You know, there was many years in there when I was really... um, I had really strayed from my true self and my path and I was just following programming and traveling the world and thinking like, okay, this is it. I've reached the pinnacle of success. But that awakening at such a young age affected me so profoundly that even if I did forget, I couldn't forget for long. And so I'm in the process now of really remembering, remembering what's important and remembering that feeling of going home and and seeing injustice on that level and being separate from it so I could realize that it was wrong because when you're in it you know this is just the way things have always been but as an outsider and I came in and I saw my people oppressed and exploited and mistreated in their own land I was like this is not okay how is everybody thinking that this is just normal it wasn't normalized for me and I was lucky, and I, actually I'll go back to the earlier question where you asked about heroes. My mom raised me with a strong sense of social justice and compassion and understanding of um, equality and, and sensitivity to injustice and inequality. And, you know, where most girls were like um, idolizing Britney Spears when they were younger, my hero was Nelson Mandela. I read The Long Walk to Freedom when I was 12 years old. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, and that's credit to my mother and um, and how I was raised, and also just 
that's just who I am. The ancestors imprinted that in me. When I was young, I had like my channels were really clear and pure and I was able to just be guided in that way. And I, I that was who I was, my authentic self. It was only as I got older that I got really confused about who, my authentic self. You know, life is noisy. There's a lot going on and you can easily get caught up in things you want, maybe things that the world says you should have. Um, or signal value. And especially in our industry, you know, we both work in entertainment. You, of course, are on screen. I'm off. Um, it's a very exciting business to be in, but you can get caught up in the lifestyle. But it's great that you were able to step back and really return to your foundation and what your values were. Um, don't get me wrong. I love being a producer. And I love working in the entertainment industry, but you know you can easily get swept up in all of the. Um, oh God, what's the right way to put put it here, Natalie? Help me out here. Um, Glamour illusion. Yes, that there's a lot of that there. In prepping for this conversation, I sort of watched a lot of your other interviews. You are so outspoken and aware and passionate about representation on all different levels, Latinas. Uh, women, but it seems like you have really gone back to what's important to you, like your heritage, equality, justice, preservation, giving back. Can you talk about that turning point where you started to take a step back? You're using your platform as an actress um, to speak out about all these important things that desperately need attention. Mm, thank you. Well, you know, it's been a it's been a journey of awakening, but I can definitely say that. One of the few catalysts of this awakening was the fires, both in the Amazon and in Australia. The fires in the Amazon um, received media attention literally like the day before I was scheduled to leave for Burning Man, which is a festival that I go to every year. And I think that like, oh, this is just my thing and I'm entitled to it. And it's my one week. Don't disturb me. I'm having some me time and doing the things that I like to do. Which is all fair and deserved. You know, self-care and downtime is really important. I think the the reasons for wanting to go, are, my intentions are beautiful. But when I was packing and like, you know, it, it, and everything stops for Burning Man, you're like, okay, like, don't call me. Like, sorry, like to my manager, like, I, I can't be disturbed. I'm packing. It's so much like, there's so much um, preparation involved. And I just, I, and then I saw, I saw the news about the fires burning and I was looked at everything that I, that I had thought was important and I was like what am I doing like how much money am I spending and effort am I putting into this one week in the desert that to be honest has a really terrible environmental impact you know I've really I've learned about that and does not really it just definitely not respect the indigenous communities that live around the Black Rock Desert and all these things that I tried to ignore and <laughs> close my ears to and be like, la, 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 don't tell me, my one week, don't ruin right. it for me. Right, right. Put everything into perspective, like the things that I thought were important as opposed to the things that truly are important. And then as if that wasn't enough of a wake up, a few months later, Australia caught on fire. A billion animals burnt was the was the final wake-up call that I needed. A billion animals burnt in, alive in these fires. And this is not the last we'll see of these fires. Yeah. And so that really led me back to understanding what was important. And what's important is, I can sum it up, saving our soil. Our soil is important. 
you know, and the reason why these fires are burning is because our soil is degraded. Why is our soil degraded? Because we're cutting down these trees and we're farming in ways that are harmful to the soil. And what's important is to support our indigenous communities because they are the ones protecting our wildernesses and the last sanctuaries of biodiversity on this earth. And once we lose places like the Amazon rainforest, there is no going back. Our earth will reach a tipping point and we will, everybody will live the glimpse of apocalypse that I lived in when I was home in Australia for the fires. I saw what apocalypse is going to look like when you cannot see the sun because the sky is full of smoke. Not just for a day, it was like that for months. People got used to it, was how disgusting it was because that's how that's how separate we are from the natural world. That we're like, oh, okay, guess this is just how things are now. I didn't see too much of a desire to really shift our behaviors and shift as a society. And so I said, well, you know what? I need to lead the way then. If people are just so stuck that they're going to think that this is a new normal, it's because they don't have the vision to imagine what we could be living in, like a, a, an alternative, better earth. And so I've really just devoted my life to now to to imagining what that new earth would look like and to help seeing it manifest as much as possible in my lifetime. I think that's incredible. But going, I mean, just talking about the Australian wildfires devastates me. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. 
With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of the 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. How did you not get completely overwhelmed, but you actually use that sadness to be the catalyst to get you to, to do something? Because a lot of people would be like, oh my God, they'd be like frozen and overcome with um, grief. So how did you shake that and actually turn it into a point of action? Well, first of all, I want to own that I was paralyzed with grief. And um, I'll just be very frank and say that there are a few days when I was so overcome with depression from it. If this is our future and if my presence on this planet is going to be so degenerative, I looked at my life and I saw that every choice that I made daily was somehow harmful to the earth. The clothes that I had bought to put on my back, the food that I was eating, even though I have been trying to cut down. I mean, I have, I'm a vegetarian now, but, you know, even that's a bit problematic, you know. Some, some, it, it was just all like, I could just see that it's not my fault personally, but as humans, we have designed systems that are just inherently damaging and harmful and degenerative to the earth. And there was just no escaping it. Getting in the car, getting on a plane ordering to go in plastic boxes it's just like I, I felt overwhelmed and I just realized like wow we're so deep we're so deep in it how do we turn this around and uh, a few weeks after that experience somebody sent me the film called kiss the ground it's actually coming out in September I got an advanced screening and it's about regenerative farming and the potential that regenerative farming has to regenerate to heal our soil and by healing the soil we are not only going to produce more nutritious food but in regenerative farming it uses cover crops like grasses and and photosynthesis to draw down carbon which is um we think is the enemy because we have too much of it in the atmosphere actually the plants need carbon for food so if we can get the farming right, we can use these crops and grasses to draw down the carbon from the sky, from the atmosphere, into the earth where it can become food for the soil, for the plants, for the trees, and we can sequester it is what it's called. So for me, this was the answer to all of our problems. We could, we could uh, reduce CO2 through regenerative farming. We could feed ourselves and the world. Um, heal the soil and then in, in places where they practice regenerative farming you can actually reverse drought you can reverse drought and you can create little microclimates you can like you know bring back moisture to the soil and precipitation to an area through this practice and regenerative farming can be used not just for food but in textile crops as well so we could be clothing ourselves with textiles made from crops that not only biodegrade, unlike all the polyester and crap we're wearing today, but that's actually healing our soil in the process. And this concept of being a regenerative human, a human whose presence is beneficial to the earth, 
And I'll just end that note with one more fact because it really sums up my point. But around that same time, I was made aware of these studies that they've made in the Amazon jungle where they can now scan the underground and they can carbon date layers and and they can they can tell us like when the amazon jungle was formed its history through the the layers of the soil and what they've been able to to discover from these carbon dated testings and scans is that parts of the amazon jungle are actually man-made for real indigenous people were co-creating with the natural world cultivating seeds and planting and creating and and promoting biodiversity as opposed to not we're just chopping down the trees and killing biodiversity. That fact just revolutionized the way I thought about our species. Because I had been looking at us like we were the enemy and we were the problem and we were the virus. But actually our birthright and our inherent capacity is to be a keystone species that can co-create with the natural world. The earth actually needs us. We've just got to change our mindset. Because I used to think, oh, the earth doesn't need us. I wish we'd all like just go away and like the earth could regenerate. But actually she needs us and we have the potential to help her rather than harm her and live in co-creation with her. And so I just want to dedicate my life to this now. There seems like nothing's more important. Natalie, that is an incredible journey. I mean, to reach such lows, but to go from that to such a point of resolve and light and a sense of purpose. Um, but you're not, you don't just have a sense of purpose. You're on a mission. And that's what I love because your social media is so rich with culture, heritage, calling attention to sustainability for the environment, the planet, but also lineage, traditions, indigenous people, practices, beliefs, not only trying to preserve it, but to honor that. And going beyond that, like even right now, you're in Alaska on a conservation trip. So you're really out there doing the work. Can you talk about how you are using your platform and really, I mean, everything that you're doing from your social media to a new project you're doing called Ritual Community that seems to really blend all of the things that are important to you and the things that we're talking about today. And I love that this project is being led by women. You're starting this project with two of your girlfriends. Tell me a little bit about Ritual Community, what it is, and how this really is such a natural extension of who you are and your beliefs. Thank you, Evelyn. Well, Ritual Community was born out of idea that most of us are spiritual orphans you know most of us are living in a land where our ancestors did not come from and we have lost contact with our lineages many of the time and 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 our ancestral ways and ancestral knowledge and um and the practices that our ancestors used to connect to spirit to connect to the earth to connect to one another and so no wonder there has there is this boom in interest in Eastern spirituality and yoga and Buddhism and Qigong, Kundalini and breathwork and we're all just seeking enlightenment. And you know, like maybe over five hundred years ago that would have been laughable because 
that was just so integral to how we, we were all raised, you know? You were born into your culture, into your lineage, into your ancestral lands, and you were taught the ways of your people. And that's not the case now because, you know, this diaspora of, of humans and colonization has really disconnected a lot of us from our lineages and our practices. And I'm going to say that I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. And I think that in order to birth this new earth, this is a time of coming together and, and, and all our lineages meeting and, and converging and melding into one. You know, and us realizing that all these all these wisdom practices are really come from uh, different communities, connection to source, and we're all trying to reach the same thing. And I want to find commonalities, and I want to I want to share these wisdom practices um, and use this diaspora to our advantage. You know, never before in in our history as humans have we had the opportunity to learn from so many different cultures and lineages all around the world without leaving our home. And so that's really what virtual community is. It's a virtual temple. It's, a, it's an online community where these practices and lineages can intersect and we can share about them. And so, um, so that's the long-winded uh, description of what we're trying to do with virtual community. But uh, in its essence, it's a membership-based platform, like a social media platform. It's it, it, And included in your membership is three classes a month and a, moon, a new moon and a full moon ceremony. So that's just that's like the basic package for us to come together and share space online through these ceremonies and classes and learn about different modalities. And also it's a social media platform. So we can we haven't even launched yet. I mean, we are our doors are open, but we haven't started our first class yet. And even in the first two weeks, the sharing and the sense of community on there is so beautiful. And I'll give an example. So we're asking people to share, like, what are your ritual practices? We're not trying to say that we have them all. Like, we want to know, like, what are you doing? Because the whole point here is to cross-pollinate ideas and share. And I like to say it's choose your own modality. Because a lot of people, like, they know, like, oh, it's probably really important to have a morning ritual, a morning routine, but I don't know what mine is. Well, ritual community is perfect for you because you get to sample, like, the first month we have tea ceremony, we have breath work. We have a class called The Art of Ritual, which is about making offerings and building and building your own altar. You know, we've got beauty rituals. We have gua sha coming up. And so this morning or yesterday morning, I posted a video on Ritual Community of me going into this glacier-fed lake where I'm at in Alaska for a cold plunge. And I said, I called it Sacred Cold Water, water Therapy. And I posted a little video and I shared about it on the community. Well, everybody loved it. But I also got, so, like, I asked in my post, I said, I could only stay in one minute. Does anyone have any tips? And I got overwhelmed with, like, one woman said that she's a former Navy SEAL trainer. And she gave me, like, old, like, tips for cold water therapy. Like, <laughs> go in at 24 seconds each body part and breathe in for four, breathe out for four, submerge your head. Like I got so um, so many tips. I was inundated with cold water, breathing techniques, etc. And then um, actually today, utilizing those tips, I was able to stay in for four minutes. Oh my God, that's so, awesome. Yeah. So that to me is ritual community in action. It's just like 
peer-supported growth. And I can't wait to update the community with like saying like, hey, I, I used your tips, guys, and I was able to extend my time in the cold water because I wasn't just like flopping about <laughs> like a disturbed dolphin. So, yeah. So that's kind of an example of like the kinship and the camaraderie and the just the general environment that we're trying to create, one of um, connection and deep understanding and, and, and collaboration. I love that. And I think it really speaks to you because it is a reflection of who you are. You really honor the planet and traditions. Why was it so important for you and your two partners to create this community where you can lift one another up, where you can share um, tips that would really enrich our lives on so many different levels? Well, our mission is really clear. We're trying to create the benevolent leaders of the future. We, we, we want to equip these men and women, although as of now, it's mostly women. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> because women are the ones that are really showing up to want to grow and learn. Yes. But we want to equip them with the tools to be the most connected and present and open to creativity as possible because we need women and we need our community of women to raise up and step out into leadership and, and not the leadership that we see now. You know, and that's the whole point of ritual community is that these practices are grounding you in, in ancient traditions and, and in, in lineages that are, are really powerful and earth-based. And we, that's the kind of leaders we want to create, women and men who are in touch with themselves, in touch with the natural world, have a reverence for spirit and for creation because they're the ones that need to go out there and make the changes that we need to see in the world. So. Your outer temple is only as beautiful as your inner temple. And so we want to really empower people by helping them cultivate their, their, their internal practices, their inner temple, so that in their lives they can show up as in benevolent leadership and as the fullest, most uh, radiant versions of themselves. You know, and that comes, and that's from health to mind, we have, we, we categorize our classes in mind, body, and spirit. So we're trying to strengthen everybody in all these ways. And then another thing that I wanted to mention, why, why we want to do what we're doing. And so myself, I'm Indigenous Peruvian. Uh, my co-founder is Isis. She's uh, Chamorro, which is Indigenous to Guam. And then Brooke is Australian and Egyptian. So we are all the descendants of, and colonizers because we're all mixed race. Know? So it was very important for us to create and actually pioneer a decolonized health, wellness, and beauty space. Because, you know, as we're, this word decolonize is coming up a lot, and it makes some people uncomfortable, and that's valid. But the truth is, is that, you know, for so long we've existed under this paradigm of exploitation. Oh, we're just going to take this, and it's not ours, and we're going to sell it and make some money off it. It happened with resources, you know, in, in colonized places. And now it's happening with um, with information and, and technologies, you know. And so one example is shamanism is very cool and, and, and in right now. You know, Amazonian shamanism has been around for millennia. Plant medicine, ayahuasca, they've been drinking those plant medicines 
for a long time as well. And uh, and now shamanism and certain plant medicines, especially like ayahuasca, are really uh, leaving the Amazon and going out into the world and being shared by practitioners who are not indigenous. Now, how do I feel about that? Well, I remember a few years ago taking a class from a woman who was teaching a Peruvian um, indigenous despacho ceremony. A despacho is an offering to the natural world. It's really beautiful. You make a mandala on a paper or a cloth, and then you burn the bundle, and it's an offering. So it's it's like a, a gratitude offering, and it's very common in the Andes. I felt I found myself feeling triggered by this woman who was not indigenous teaching this indigenous wisdom. And, and when I checked in with myself about what was really going on, it was that I felt jealous that I didn't know my own lineage and traditions from my own culture. And that, you know, and then when I, when I realized what the, what the, um, what the origin of this, of this, like, not this jealousy was, my feeling towards this woman changed. Instead, I felt grateful. I thought, how amazing that you cared enough about my lineage and culture to go there and study so that you can teach people like me. (laughs) Now, that said, there needs to be a really clear dialogue around reciprocity. When you are carrying a lineage that you do not come from, and you are making money off it without sending money or somehow being in a reciprocal right relationship with the people who have stewarded that lineage for generations, then you were just a colonizer. You're a spiritual colonizer. Mm. You're doing what the colonizers did with the rubber and the gold. You're taking something that's not yours and you're profiting from it. And so we were excited to make create a space where we could talk about how we can move forward and decolonize these areas of our life. Because the truth is, I'm not going to sit here and say, you cannot be Indigenous and teach Indigenous wisdom. A lot of the people who have changed my life profoundly are non-Indigenous people who've gone and studied for years in the Amazon or in the Andes and are bringing this wisdom up to North America. And I'm grateful to be able to learn from them. And so um, we actually ran into a similar situation with Chinese medicine and TCM. And um, we were having some... some, um, some intense dialogue with um, some friends of mine, actually, a friend of mine who was like really explaining why it was so important to have somebody from traditional Chinese medicine teach Gua Sha, which is a class that we want to offer. And I was so honored to hear her point of view on that. And I really understood it. And um, she really showed me the importance of making sure that, you know, like, yes, we need our Chinese brothers and sisters included on here, too. And that in the case when we're not like able to have somebody from that lineage, a conversation needs to be had and a clear understanding of reciprocity needs to be had as well. And so um, actually that conversation was so insightful that now we're going to hold decolonizing the health, beauty and wellness space panels monthly on our platform so that it can be a community conversation and as a community we can find solutions because I also don't want to participate in call-out culture where we're just policing. Policing is not enough. We've got to pioneer what the new space is going to look like and that's what we hope to do with virtual community. There's so much thought and self-reflection that's clearly gone through this and I really appreciate that you're creating a space that we not only lift each other up, but we're creating a place where we can actually have conversations like the one you just laid out. Now, you I have to table something that you um, that we talked about offline. 
Um, the way ritual community is set up, you are giving back to the communities that you are spotlighting. Tell us a little bit about the setup of that and how it's going to give back. Yeah. So thank you for uh, reminding me about So we want to make decolonizing the space integral to our, our structures. So um, we're giving portions of our memberships to not only One Tree Planted, which is an NGO that uh, works in reforesting. So we, in that way, we're becoming regenerative. Okay, so we're giving our profits to regenerative organizations. So we're regenerating the earth with the, with the money that we're making. But also we're using every two months going to uh, rotate between groups that work with specific Indigenous communities that have traditionally been exploited for their wisdom or their medicine. So the first group we're working with is the Chaikuni Institute, which um, is in the Amazon in Peru, and they're bringing regenerative farming back to the Amazon. Regenerative farming was obviously integral to how the Indigenous people lived in the Amazon. That's how come we could create part portions of the Amazon were man-made. But um, because of colonization, a lot of, a lot of these indigenous peoples have lost um, the knowledge of how to grow medicinal plants and food regeneratively. A huge example of that is ayahuasca. There's a boom in ayahuasca tourism industry in the Amazon. But what you get when you have, um, you know, c- capitalism and spirituality meet in that way, um, you get situations like where 100-year-old ayahuasca trees are being cut down to be served to tourists. You know, that's an old growth tree. That takes 100 years to grow back. So the cultivation of the plant has not been very, has not been respectful. And we're seeing now that this could be become extinct. And so what Chaikuni Institute does is they grow uh, food forests. So they're growing food, but also medicinal plants, including ayahuasca. And so they're providing a regenerative economy for the people there while regenerating the soil and reforesting. So I love what they're doing. I'm so proud, proud to support them. And I think the next group we want to support would be where in, um, in China or in South Asia around India, because, you know, that those are two other groups of people and cultures that have traditionally been exploited for their wisdom, you know, like Taoism and yoga. You know, like most yoga teachers we know here are all white women. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. We have to start fixing the cycle of like making sure that like if we're profiting from this wisdom and these traditions that these people have stewarded for millennia, then we need to be making sure that there's like a a cyclical flow of the money back to those groups. So if anyone knows a good group that... that uh, in either in China or in India, uh, please let me know that we, I'd love for them to be the next people we support. And then lastly, in, in order to walk the walk about supporting it, minorities and BIPOC uh, women and men, we have applications for BIPOC memberships. Um, so if you are Black or Indigenous or woman of color, please hit us up and email us and um, we will be happy to offer you a half price membership. Because also the traditionally the wellness space has been really exclusive and only wealthy white women can afford things like this. So we want to make sure that those who can afford are subsidizing the memberships for those who need a little more support because we want everybody. So amazing. And I will definitely post links with this episode. So no worries about that. You're working to create conversations and spotlight issues that I think most people aren't even aware of. So I think that's tremendous. But what I'm also really struck by is your journey of self-reflection and evolution. Can you detail what that's been like for you to go from 
you know, being a kid that we talked about, the values that your mom instilled, which seem to be really at the forefront. Can you detail what that self-reflection has been like for you to go from growing up in Peru, going to Australia, working in entertainment, um, to where you are now and what you're doing? Because that's really quite an arc. And that's a lot of work that you did for yourself on yourself. And how are you better for it? It's interesting to reflect on an arc where you, when I don't think the arc is over. Absolutely. And I really just think my life's only beginning now. You know, I'm collecting and, and um, integrating all of this experience and wisdom that I've accumulated in the last 35 years. And I'm finally learning how to direct my energy and my focus and my intelligence in a way that is uh, going to be most of service. I would say that to anybody looking for a similar transformation in their life, because, you know, I know that there was many years that I felt like, you know, I had really low self-esteem and felt really useless and hopeless and, like, I wasn't always like this. What was missing was service. The times when I was most depressed in my life or most lost was the times when I was really just thinking about myself. I was trying to think, how can I get ahead? How can I be more famous, more rich, more beautiful? And I found so much peace and um, purpose in in stepping outside of myself and looking at the bigger picture and asking different questions. Instead of how can I be more, it's how can I be of service? And uh, yeah, when you shift the when you shift the focus like that, really powerful things start to happen. All of a sudden, the universe steps in to support you instead of block you. So that's just my little ending note for everybody who thinks that maybe I am very special. I'm actually very ordinary. I'm extraordinary, and that's the meaning of that word. You know, anybody, anybody can have these kind of awakenings and can find themselves doing these kind of things when they really tap into their true essence and their true nature as a human, which is to live in harmony with the earth and be of service to the earth and to others. I think that's incredible, but I think you've got to give yourself a lot of credit for being able to step back, be able to self-reflect, but also be able to actually do the work. Now that I find you here, I sense a real stillness and peace in you. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's how I feel right now. Peaceful and, and uh, determined. Um, I, I know I'm, my, my path is, is clear. And I think um, that's what causes a lot of people anxiety because they're like, I don't know what to do. And this lack of, of purpose is really, um, it's really tough for people. And I think it's a source of a lot of sadness and destructive behaviors, but uh, which have experienced both of those things. Um, but now that I have this purpose, everything in my life has kind of shifted into place. That's beautiful, Natalie. Thank you. What would you want people to know about your value system, your beliefs, priorities? I think I'll sum it up with, it's about soil. We've got to care about our soil. That's number one value system we need to keep our waters pure we need to keep the carbon in the ground no more extractive industries and we need to put our human ingenuity towards ways of providing us energy and food and 
all the resources we need that are going to be regenerative and not destructive and degenerative to the earth. Those are my value systems. How can we be a regenerative presence on this planet? You know, and how can we be guardians, guardians of the of the waters and the soil and the animals? Who will be a voice for the voiceless? That's great. Okay, so Natalie, sign us off. Let us know who you are and what you represent. My name is Natalie Ali. My middle name is Rafaela from my grandmother. Her last name was Malki. She's from the Andes of Peru. And I represent a long lineage of indigenous peoples living in harmony with the earth. And I represent the future. We are partnership with indigenous peoples so that we can all learn how to return to our earth and live with her in a way that is fruitful and abundant and beneficial for her as well as for ourselves as humans. Huge thanks to Natalie Kelly for her time, sharing her stories, and for all the ways she's working to give back. Follow Natalie on Twitter and Instagram. Her handle on both are Nat Kelly. And be sure to join Ritual Community. Do things that will enrich your life while honoring traditions and cultures. And know you'll be making a positive contribution all at the same time. It's a win-win, guys. Links for Nat's social media and Ritual Community will be listed in the episode description. Next up, from Stage 2 screen, we have the amazing Kayala Settle, who slayed the Oscar-nominated song, This Is Me, from The Greatest Showman. This is Kayala Settle. Don't miss my episode of Reppin, coming up next. Reppin is available on all top podcast platforms, so subscribe, tell your friends, and leave a review. And tweet me. You can reach me at Reppin Podcast, and follow me on Instagram at Reppin underscore podcast. Thanks always to Nelson Pinero, my musical composer and technical director, for all of his time, talent, and mojo. Love and thanks also to Gracie Kong. Reppin is a Suburban Outlaw Productions. Until next time, be sure to stand up and represent. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.